the real like kernel of the reason that everything in my life shifted is because I said yes to other people instead of myself. And I think that that might be the most simple definition of violating your own boundaries, of betraying yourself, of abandoning yourself. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife RX. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy Now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. I'm Augustine, and today I'm sharing with you an interview with my good friends Alicia and Meredith. And the tables are turned because this time they're interviewing me. <laughs> I did this presentation for a, a program that they offered in their organization for doulas. But it was so impactful to share my story that I thought I would just turn around and share it with my community as well. So here is a very vulnerable and very deep dive into my why and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it here for the Midwifery Wisdom Collective and all of you. So I hope you'll take a listen and I hope you'll give me some feedback about what was meaningful for you. What we're creating here is so much more than what I even imagined. It's very important for me to connect with our listeners and our people that we're helping. I'm just feeling a little vulnerable here and I hope that, uh, I hope that it's meaningful for you. I lost a lot and in recovering and healing, I've gained even more, and this interview explains why. Enjoy. Um, so, Augustine, can you tell us why? Why would that be your go-to when we asked you what you'd love to share with birth workers? I gravitate towards boundaries because I feel like that's the part that's maybe least talked about or least practiced in birth work in the United States, mm-hmm. um, or, or I should say in birth work that's not obstetrics and nursing (laughs) because obstetricians and nurses seem to have really clear boundaries. (laughs) They say no all the time, right? They're very clear about what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do. Um, And somehow we've taken that and transmuted it into believing we should be the opposite, saying yes to everything. 
And I think that that's not only dangerous for the, the birthing family, uh, but it's also dangerous for the provider, for the birth worker. Yeah, so that's, that, that to me, it's, I am I'm a Scorpio and I like to go into the shadows. And to me, that's yes. the one that's not talked about enough. So I, that's, oh. that's what I call to talk about right now. This is perfect. And you know of what you speak. You have been, I mean, mm -hmm. if it's okay to share it to Helen back. And yeah, and it's pretty public. <laughs> I've been public. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I didn't come by these lessons easily. That's for sure. And um, I don't take them lightly. And so when I'm talking about boundaries work in a pro professional boundaries work, I'm talking about lots of things I didn't do. And I'm talking about um, implementing strategies or um, awarenesses that, um, yeah, I learned the hard way through, I mean, I, you know, through multiple levels of persecution. So if you don't follow my story, I was, um, I was a licensed midwife in the state of Oregon. Um, and I also practiced in New Jersey and South Carolina before it was, you could get a license there. South Carolina, I was still a student, but in New Jersey, I was practicing. And in that surrounding area, Pennsylvania, whatever. Um, <clears throat> but specifically in Oregon, which is supposed, is thought of as like the most liberal legal state for midwifery in the country, um, which is a total fallacy, especially now the pendulum always swings, right? But um, I, I'm officially the most investigated midwife in Oregon's history of midwifery. Um, and I defended myself against 39 investigations over a span of only five years and spent a hundred grand defending myself and no one died. No one was even injured. So <laughs> welcome to American politics. Oh man. Oh. Burning witches at the stake still happens today. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that's a apt description. Mm -hmm. So from my history, I started, um, well, I, I uh, was eventually driven out of practice in Oregon with the number of investigations and the lawsuit expenses and the um, the audits that followed, Medicaid wanted me to pay back $180,000 one year um, after not paying me, you know, like all kinds of drama. Um, I eventually was driven out of practice and, um, and ended up homeless. And um, through my homeless journey, I also lost custody of my children um, because my ex-husband claimed that they were in danger um, and won. And so um, it shook me to my core. I was obviously, this is what you would call low point. I was uh, living in my vehicle and um, had gone from running a three location, multidisciplinary holistic healthcare center that included a birth center in one of the safest, most legal states, um, serving hundreds of clients a year. Um, I, I always had two to five full-time students um, and I mean, what you would call a, you know, a big healthy business grossing half a million a year, you know, like a big business. I went from that to, you know, and, a, and the big 2000 square foot house and the kids in and out and the neighborhood and the parties, like, just like living the life to like nothing in the span of one year. I mean, I, the business had been going for years, but the the crash and burn happened over one year. And it really, I mean, obviously for anyone that would rock you to your core, what do they say? Like, 
one major life transition is like enough to, to hobble you and, and overwhelm your system. And I had like multiple, um, and it really shocked me because I'm a pretty smart person. Um, and I was like, how, how did this happen? Like, I was really stuck on the how and, um, I kept exploring and doing the best I could to not sink into depression and trying to find employment and the things you do when you're in crisis. And I came up with this way of asking myself um, a, a series of questions. Um, and it was both to reflect and also chart a future because I knew I wanted some kind of future. I had amassed at that point, whenever that was, 12 to 15 years of experience in this profession. And when you're, you know, 10 years into any profession, you're a veritable expert, you know, you've put in the 10,000 hours or whatever, and you're ready to like be the top of your field. And I had lost everything. And I was like, I, I still feel called to midwifery. I can't do the on-call process. I mean, I also lost a lot of health in that process and that's a whole nother story, but <clears throat> I was like, there has to be some future for me. So I had this series of questions I would ask myself and I, it's in some journal somewhere. I don't know where it is right now. I can't say exactly, but it was some combination of questions. Like, what do you want to do? Like a really straightforward question. And I would ask it like a mantra or I would ask it like a meditation. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And it would just like roll and roll until it lost its meaning. You know how words can do that. Um, and then you could rediscover it with a, with a new perspective. You could have a new vista. You could have a new sound behind you. You could have a new smell. And then you would hear it differently. It would hit differently. Like I was really committed to figure out like, what is this soul journey? Since I've lost everything, <laughs> what do I want to do now? You know, and it just kept growing. Um, and so that was a question I asked myself a lot, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But I also asked a question, and I don't have the framework exactly right because it, I spent a lot of time on wording it so that when I went into this meditation space of it, it was clear. But it was something along the lines of, what do you need to know as a result of that experience? Not like, what did you do wrong or what do you regret or like, any, like nothing with baggage attached to it, but more of this like real like history searching. Like, what do you need to know as a result of that? Like, what are you learning? Um, and um, it was boundaries was obviously the answer that kept coming back because when I really reviewed it, um, the real like kernel of the reason that everything in my life shifted is because I said yes to other people instead of myself. And I think that that might be the most simple definition of violating your own boundaries, of betraying yourself, of abandoning yourself. Yeah. And it's of a high, it's like a high, um, high ideal. Like the ideal of serving people is a high ideal. But it became absolutely crystal clear to me that no service is actually in service if it's abandoning yourself. Like if you have to injure yourself in order to serve, you're not serving. Yeah. So you were, Augustine, are you saying you're putting, everybody came before you? Children, yeah. husband, mm -hmm. clients. 
Yeah. Well, I, I also got divorced. And I, broke. I mean, you know, how deep do we want to go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll go wherever you take us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. What did you, what did you discover? So, um, <clears throat> so I was like, I, I'm learning that putting other people in front of you, um, is not a winning strategy. Like that was one of my first kind of concepts. Like this does work. And then I started really like deep and deeper. And it's, I mean, I'm still in this journey in a lot of ways. And I think we all are, we're still in, like, I think we'll, we'll always be in a journey of figuring out our own value and our own worth. Because we live in a society that so easily and effectively devalues humanity. And so whether or not you grew up in a toxic family of origin, which I also had the pleasure of doing, you don't, you don't, intri- you don't intrinsically get messaging from our modern society that you are inherently valuable, right? You get messages that you're valuable depending on what you can produce. You're valuable depending on whatever. You get conditional messages. You don't get unconditional messages. So um, I think we're all learning that. We're all unpacking that we're all discovering that we're all exploring that um unlearning um so um the first thing I learned was like this doesn't work and then it came down to like this hurts a lot and then it comes down like then I started exploring suffering you know and my definition of suffering is it's the story you tell yourself about the pain so like pain is just a sensation but then the, the whole thing you make about it is the suffering. And I was suffering. And um, so I had to go into the story to understand the pain and the suffering. And <clears throat> the story had a lot to do with like, you know, like hero world, like capes and shit, <laughs> very wands and capes, <laughs> like a lot of fantasy. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't, <laughs> this is another part that doesn't work. Don't. <laughs> were you the were you the fairy godmother as the as the midwife? You can you can paint it in lots of ways, right? I mean, I think that I think that I'm actually a really good balanced midwife, but you you have to go back to your your core um, inspiration or <clears throat> motivation and when you are walking around, when you're the walking wounded and you have a hole inside of you, one way that you feel, fill that hole is to be useful, to be needed. And, um, you know, that it can come in different degrees, right? So, um, in the birth room itself, at that point, I, because partly because of my health, but also partly because of my growth and my development, like it was like, I'm not that for you. Hire a doula, (laughs) you know, like that was clear for me. Um, and no, no offense to any doulas. Doulas are fantastic. (laughs) We worship you. It's it's fantastic. Um, but, uh, but I, um, I have not, I, I didn't step into kind of some kind of savior role, like a lot of midwives do. And I just want to be like really clear, like a lot of, a lot of doulas do a lot of people, nurses do like it's, it's a comfortable place to drop into if you have been programmed to be people pleaser, right? To be, to be serving in that way. So that didn't, that wasn't really where I was pulled, but I was pulled to being that, that, um, 
that sort of cape <laughs> with the wand person um, heroing my community, heroing the practice of midwifery, the, the students that I had brought on and graduated and turned into midwives and like the output, you know, opening three birth centers in a row um, and all that that took, that was a very much a, a caped experience. Yeah. Um, and when it came right down to it, the real nuts and bolts here um, was that the Affordable Care Act passed in 2010 and it was revised and finally implemented in the States by 2012. Um, Oregon was really behind the loop. So it didn't finish its like consumer marketplace for insurances and all this place that they had to turn over until say 2013, 2014 is when Oregon finally got its act in order. And one of the major things that happened when um, the Affordable Care Act was implemented in the United States is that they changed the, um, the cutoff for the poverty level. So it changed the number of people that were eligible for Medicaid. So um, when the Affordable Care Act was proposed, um, it was proposed being a, a healthcare home, a safety net, uh, uh, egalitarian leveling the playing field healthcare offering for the folks who were living below the poverty line. And that, that amounted to about 14 to 26%, depending on which state you were on, but it was a minority, right? But what many democratic states did across the nation is they took that federal ruling, they applied it in their state while also reinterpreting the, um, the, the, the rules. So when, medic, when, when it was finally implemented in Oregon, 72% um, of the population became eligible for Medicaid. And so my previous, you know, accounts receivable included, you know, a good 51% or so insurance, 20 some percent, um, you know, Medicaid, and then another 20 some percent cash pay because we were in the Emerald Triangle. So, you know, lots of green cash rolling through. And that's a very sustainable model. But when everyone who was a cash pay and a whole bunch of private insurance clients all became eligible for Medicaid. We were charging, you can only, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you bill Medicaid, you can only get what they pay you. <laughs> there's, there's no extra. You can't bill Medicaid extra. You can't bill the client cash. You, like you get what you get. If you decide to take Medicaid, it is flat out. You get what you get. And so um, I had a drastic change in accounts receivable. And they started um, reviewing every claim with a nurse reviewer board and a whole new set of requirements called the HERC, the Health Education or the Health Evaluation Requirement Boards. I can't remember the title anymore. I sort of blocked it out. But they started this, they, they used an entirely new metric, right? So it used to be that they were using, like to pay Medicaid, you're a licensed midwife, you get the money. Now, they go, every provider who is practicing outside of our system, like midwives, have to have clients that fall within this new um, qualification for people who get Medicaid. And it included things like no BMI over 30, no previous baby over nine and a half pounds, no previous third or fourth degree tear, no one who's ever had preeclampsia, forget about this pregnancy, like all of these like extreme like limits 
which amounts to the fact that you have to be having your second baby in perfect health with no previous outcome. That's who can deliver, midwives can deliver, right? <clears throat> power and control. This is all about power and control. So, um, so anyway, perfect storm meant that while I was an established licensed provider in an established licensed business with multiple licensed providers serving a large segment of the population, when I closed, I was doing 21% of the volume of the hospital across the street, right? Large volume. Um, I, I was unsustainable because they had made it so that only big box healthcare could survive that. They had to have such massive reserves and be doing care at such a scale that they could absorb that incredible changeover of availability. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So all of this is to say, when I went and explored this, it was very clear that I was a smart person and I had been doing smart business. I knew that there were major changes coming and did not prepare adequately because I was still in that mentality of muscling it through, of believing that not only could I make it work, but that I was even responsible for making it work. And ultimately, I put my employees and their income ahead of mine. So I stopped taking a paycheck long before my employees did, which is a noble thing to do, but it's not sustainable. And so that was the next kind of phrase that came to me. It was like, this has to be sustainable. Like, what are we doing if we can't keep doing it? Like, what are we doing if we can't keep doing it? And so um, sustainability safety for everyone, including the midwife. And this concept of boundaries are what really became the lessons that became the midwifery wisdom collective of translating my really deep dive into pain and loss. I mean, I lost everything to midwifery. Um, that, that process of translation of what it was became the offering that I have now, which hopes to help midwives, students coming into the profession, um, not make the same mistakes and get a little clearer about what their motivations are and what they're creating, what their vision is for the future and how to actually create package support that in that process. So that's the long history. Right. <laughs> and that's a great, that's yeah. a great overview, Augustine. So tell us, okay, break Maybe that more down. Than you <laughs> no, I, we love all the juicy details. Well, tell us, start with sustainability then, the first piece. Yeah. So the very definition of sustainability is reproducible, right? It, it doesn't mean getting better. It doesn't mean, you know, advancing. Sustainability simply means what I did today, I can do tomorrow. It can sustain. Um, and when you look like, so, so in part of my like, healing journey, recovery, pain place, whatever you want to call it. After um, that whole life, I went back to school and I got a, a, a master's degree in maternal child health systems to try to understand this from, from a 30,000 foot view, like what had happened to me. Because it's, it's unimaginable, right? To be a busy, yeah. busy, full business and then like gone. Like I was completely taken out. And it certainly, like nothing changed. We were still busting at the seams busy, right? It was like payer source, policy, 
top level administrator. Like it was, it was a beyond my pay grade. Right? So I was like, I have to understand what happened here. And I, I went back to school and got a master's degree in, in this systems level thinking. And so it's a, both a public health degree and a, a research base and also this systems level thinking. Um, and so I had always thought globally, but, but now I really do. Um, and that was in 2018. And, um, I, continue to look at the whole, the analysis of the whole nation, the analysis of, of, I mean, global as well, but since we're talking about the US, like very much the systems that work, the systems that don't work, and there are very few systems that, that do work as from a sustainability perspective. And what are they doing? What are they doing that works? And oftentimes we have to go to other countries to evaluate what systems work, because um, <clears throat> there's so few in the US. Um, and what what are the ones that aren't working the ones that fail that move in and out i mean i don't know if you guys know this but every single week in the united states a new birth center opens and closes so we're wow. at a zero sum game like they keep opening and closing because it's it's not sustainable right yeah. so i i moved to this be losing that on the boots on the ground experience made me be able to have this wide vision and so i kind of zoomed out and now i, I and, and then i started traveling and teaching and i've been able to see the many different vantage points in the U.S. So I, I feel really qualified to start to speak about this because I have you know, both experiences. Um, but this um, the sustainability became really the, the key. Um, and I would add, you know, we've sort of using this new word at Midwifery Wisdom that's thriveability so that we take sustainability and then we move it into that growth phase, which is like thriving, right? So how do we, how do we take a super dysfunctional system and move it over into this sustainability slash thriveability culture. And um, I've looked at it from every avenue. I've looked at it from payer sources and finances to scalability and size of practice, number of employees. <laughs> you know, I've looked at it from every perspective, um, number of clients and you know, the ratio of insurance to Medicaid, like all of that, it still wasn't working. And so I just like kept digging and kept digging. And that's when I came to this new work that I'm doing now, which is that the root of the problem is that you can give all the structure that you want, but if the person implementing the structure, if the entrepreneur or provider does not understand their own boundaries or the boundaries they practice within clinically, nothing's going to be successful. Okay, why? So, why is that, Augustine? Why is because why they will self sabotage exactly like I did. So here's the, here's the like the the top down analysis of what I was going through. I should have downscaled or closed. Like that's if I had done either of those things, I would have avoided the crisis. But I stayed wearing a cape because I lacked the ability to put myself in the equation. I was fighting for the good of all. I was fighting for the business. I was fighting for the potential of what I saw, but none of it was grounded in what I could physically do, what I had the financial wherewithal to do, or what I personally needed, which is why that second question in my healing journey was so important and it was like what do you want it was this like the most simple question and I just asked it and asked it and asked it and asked it and um 
I asked it, what do you want professionally? What do you want personally? What do you like every possible like iteration of this, but the root of it was like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And it was a really fantastic journey. And I encourage you guys to try it out if you ever want to, because some very interesting things come up. Um, and as soon as your brain or inspiration or gut or whatever tells you an answer, you have to ask why, <laughs> what do you want? Why? <laughs> because I don't know if you follow Simon Sinek, but like, why is where it's at? You know, he's an incredible leader, right? So, mm -hmm. so I was like, there has to be a why that resonates with my whole being before mm -hmm. I'll like do it. Right. So the only answer that came back that was across every possible category that I could ask this question in was palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> palm trees? It makes no sense, except for that it's a fantastic uh, lesson in, um, in trusting source or trusting soul or being being in connection with your higher self right so i kept being like what do you want palm trees why <laughs> it would just be this like because it's a yes because it resonates because it's the right path because i said so like it would just be this like constant like battle with myself there wasn't a logical why but there was totally a why and it would it went something like because it's your next step and so I was going around and around with this palm trees, palm trees, palm trees. <laughs> At this point, I was living in my car in the mountains of Oregon, <laughs> like no palm trees. So like made no sense. So, um, so I was like, I, I remember the moment I was actually in my car and I, it was sort of a frozen like tundra kind of look out over the vista. And I was looking out there going, be like, all right, fine. You got me. Palm trees sound nicer than this. <laughs> Actually, I think I was in Colorado at that point and um, or I was driving between the two or something and the moment I felt this like ugh, like all right I'm not going to fight this anymore my brain does not know more than this inner knowing that makes no sense like I'm going to just accept that I'm just going to say yes that the moment that happened I got three messages back to back from far-flung students around the nation that said, hey, did you know that Najoni in San Diego is hiring for a clinical director? Like you should apply. All three sent me the link. Palm trees, <laughs> and I, was like, I love it. Oh, oh, San Diego, oh, palm trees. <laughs> so um, I don't know why, but I've been using palm trees as a bellwether ever since. And so I, I live in places where there are palm trees. <laughs> Because that's, that's apparently what my soul really wants. And um, my my soul calls them calm trees. And so that's where I hang out. <laughs> um, I love that. And this, this experience has sort of woven itself into the process of finding sustainability because the palm trees withstanding, the process of saying, what do I want and why am I doing it is like a critical part of finding your boundaries. Mm. So you are not in touch with yourself. You have no idea what you're doing. And I can say, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. I had 27 employees, hundreds of clients, three facilities, no idea what I was doing. Um, I, was, I was sort of stumbling, bumbling towards a theoretical place of, a, of arriving or a place of like giving 
that doesn't exist. And this is the biggest takeaway of I could share this with anyone. Yeah. You never, you never arrive, despite what they tell you. You never, ever, ever arrive. You are always becoming, you are always discovering. You never arrive. It's the biggest lie in our culture. Um, and so instead of throwing your energy towards a future happening, you have to actually be happy in the now. So whatever you're doing now, you have to be happy. And that takes boundaries because the only way that you get, and happy isn't the right word. I almost would say peaceful. You need to be peaceful. You don't even need to be like bubbly and joyous. You just need to be like, I'm okay, right? So the only way that you find that is by understanding what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so I call this the, the sacred yes and the holy no. And these are those core knowings, those deep beyond reasoning yes and no's, like my, my calm trees. And calm trees are a sacred yes. Um, yeah, so that's the foundation of boundaries is understanding what to say yes to and what to say no to. And the process of discovering the boundaries or the parts of you that you're okay with is um, I think the most important work that we do. And so bringing that over into birth work, if you didn't know this, birth work's really freaking hard. Um, <laughs> no matter what your role, you're up all night, you don't always have access to a bathroom, to food, to like a bed. There's no like logic, there's no rhyme or reason. Like it's always changing. It's like an adrenaline junkie or dopamine junkie's best friend, but, but it's really, it's, it's not predictable. It's not comfortable. So you get into this because of a calling. You get into this because something in you says, I, I need to do this. I want to do this. I need to serve in this way. And that is a beautiful calling. But if you don't take the time to evaluate the what and the why, you're just stumbling towards some future arrival date that never arrives. So here are some of the pitfalls of not knowing your own boundaries. Um, you could take clients that don't actually align with you. And if you dig deep enough into the doula or student midwifery chat boards, you'll find that there are stories of some really gruesome things. Um, you know, for not just the clients that like don't pay you or like badmouth you on social media, but I'm talking about the clients that like literally perpetrate abuse in front of you or to you. If you don't understand what's okay with you and what's not okay, you can put yourself in really dangerous situations. And then, there's a process of interfacing with other colleagues and doulas have to do this almost more than anyone else. You have to be in relationship with not only your client, but also there are multiple types of providers and their ancillary support people and, you know, all the other people that show up in birth work. Um, or you face choosing to head out onto the birth keeper world where you relate with no one. And that's a certain kind of risk as well. And so I feel like boundaries is at the core of everything. And it helps you understand you so that you can better communicate with anyone that you would work with. And so this is a really important distinction. 
unfortunately in our ma mainstream society, boundaries has come off as the idea of that's like the wall or it's like what you make other people do. Not at all. Boundaries is an inside job. Boundaries is what you make yourself do or not do. You can't control anyone else anywhere. You can't make them do anything, think anything, feel anything. You're not in charge of other people. That should be self-evident if you're a functional adult. So then <clears throat> the only thing <clears throat> that you can do is control your own reaction and your own actions, right? And so boundaries are what's okay with you so that you can go out into the world and decide consciously whether you wanna be involved in someone else's story or not. So <clears throat> setting boundaries as a birth worker could involve, I am not okay working with um, folks who abuse their partners. Like that's a bottom line for me. That doesn't resonate with me. I don't feel called to serve those people. Um, <clears throat> I, I definitely feel compassion for the victims of domestic violence, but that's not my area of genius. It's not where I'm gonna be served best. It's incredibly triggering. I don't doula or midwife for people who are in domestic violence situations. That's the bottom line for me. Might not be for you. Maybe you've decided that you can do that, but I can't. So the conclusion of that clear boundary for myself is I have to be able to figure out who's in domestic violence partnerships so that I can risk them out. Does that make sense? Yeah. How do you do that, Agassi? Well, there's many screening tools. There's many education processes. There's many questions that you can ask. There's different symptoms that you can be alert for, right? But if you didn't know that was a boundary, you just end up in those situations because you never consciously explored it. Yeah. <clears throat> Another boundary for me personally at this stage of my life is that I don't, I don't stay up all night. And I know that sounds crazy to say as a midwife, but I don't, I can't, it's not possible. My health puts it to the point where I can't do that. Yeah. So then to back up, that's a boundary for me. So then to back up, that means I must not be the only qualified individual at birth. Right, right. So then that means I have to work with people that feel as passionately about safety and sustainability as I do so that I can confidently walk away when I need to for my health. These are the, these are the, this is why boundaries and sustainability go hand in hand. You can't really have one without them. Welcome to the Midwifery Wisdom Collective, a community for midwives. Whether you're a seasoned midwife, just starting midwifery school, or in between, we have something for you. On our website, midwiferywisdom.com, you can find sources of all things support, community, and education. Our collective offers a podcast hosted by four incredible midwives covering a variety of topics, online courses that range from hands-on skills such as fetal heart tone monitoring to business marketing skills and more. And we have a blog and YouTube channel that highlight a variety of educational and self-care topics. We also have different consulting options if you need more individualized help with legal advice, business, branding, and of course, the art and science of midwifery. We believe that midwifery is about relationships, both between a midwife and client, 
and especially between midwives themselves. And that's why we hold an annual conference and live hands-on skills sessions across the country so that you can connect with other midwives and further hone your skills at the same time. Please come follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, or wherever you get your social news. At the Midwifery Wisdom Collective, we believe your self-care is just as important as the care you give to your clients. We commit to adding to your well-being as well as your professional development. Take care of yourselves because we need you. Welcome home, midwives. And so for those of you that are kind of new to this spidey sense awareness, you know that you've crossed a boundary for yourself when you have one of three or all three emotions, anger, resentment, or guilt. Augustine, this is so interesting. I mean, birthwork, like everything else in life, is just a reflection of who we are and where we're at. Especially birthwork. Mm-hmm. We're at the threshold. We're at the threshold between everything. Mm-hmm. Of course, all of you shows up right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the boundaries I just want to mention, Augustine, that I had to learn the hard way um, was that I won't work with certain providers. And yes. another brilliant, remember. you have a bad experience and you're like, yes. this is repeatable. I can see how they do this every time. Not yes. going to keep doing it. Exactly. Well, what made it so hard in this instance was there was a midwifery practice in the Bay Area. And what happened over the years is one by one, these hospital practices disappeared until there was only one left. And they were sort of the bastion of midwifery care in the hospital. And so people yeah. flocked to them. But I would go to them and I think, why? Why are people coming here? And every doula would talk, sing their praises. And I thought, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe something's wrong with me. But I knew that that wasn't true because I remember I got on the table. My friend is a myofascial therapist. I had just been to a birth with this midwifery team. It was awful. I got on her table a few days later. She did a sacral release and I just cried a river of tears, just angry, angry tears. And, and that's when I realized I'm not crazy. It really is true. It's in my body. It's locked in here. Let me just believe myself and let me say no more. And I will start speaking. Anger, resentment, guilt, crossed a boundary. You found it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And And so then you get to say, I don't attend births with these people anymore. And then you get to let everyone else figure it out. Right. So a client comes to you there with that client. You say, oh, I'd love to work with you. You seem like lovely people. But unfortunately, I don't attend clients with that hospital. And they go, really? Why? (laughs) And you get to say, they break my boundaries. And so I know they're breaking my client's boundaries. And so I'm just not going to continue to put myself in that kind of pain, but you know, I hope you find someone that's that, that is the, that is the epitome of how boundaries work for you. You don't say you should switch. You're doing it wrong, right? You're not controlling other people. You only get to control yourself. Boundaries are inside. They're for you, right? So when you say that, the client then can be like, well, fuck them. I don't want to work with them. If you don't work with them, like I already trust you. I want to go to where you go, right? Or they say, okay, we're not aligned. And they go off on their merry way. And you could do this with any boundary you can think of. And it works exactly the same way. Boundaries are for you, not for other people. I love that. That's a beautiful example. It's so, Augustine, that's so good because as I was listening to you role play that, it's powerful. 
and it's actually attractive to the right people. Attractive. It actually does exactly what we want as entrepreneurs. Good, high boundaries and clear communication of those boundaries attracts your ideal customer and repels the people you should not work with. Yeah. It's brilliant, actually. You don't have to do as much work. You're not standing on two horses, you know? You're just clearly in your place being like, that doesn't work for me, but good luck. Yeah. The people that want to work with you will like flock to you. And the people that don't, they just hightail it. You disappear. So good. So good. It's a win, win, win. It's like always a win. The only thing you have to be okay with is disappointing people. And the only reason that we've convinced ourselves that disappointing other people is shameful is because we believe that, again, we're responsible for other people's emotions. We're not. Not at all. No one, no adults are responsible for anyone else's emotions. And that to me was like, I didn't know that because as a child, I was made responsible for my parents' emotions, every one of them, right? And this is that unlearning. We have to get to this place of being like, that was all a false narrative. That's not true. People are grown up people. They can manage their own shit. It's not my job. And you have to be okay with disappointing people in order to not abandon yourself. That is like the root, that's like the mantra. That's brilliant, yeah. You always putting yourself first in that sense. Always, always. You can serve, but not if it's injuring you. So how do you, okay, translate this into the birth room for us because doulas are inevitably gonna meet pissy providers. And it's, you know, it's challenging when you walk into the hospital because you're dealing with so many personalities, so many points of view, um, doctor, nurse, midwife. So tell us about how you stand strong in the face of these. You're meeting these strangers. They're bringing in all of their emotions and their beliefs. You're exhausted. Yeah, totally. Here's what I can say, two things. Number one is tell the truth. Tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to your clients. Tell the truth, like the absolute truth. No sugarcoating no rose-colored glasses, no woulda, coulda, shoulda, no future thinking, truth. So the truth about doula work to yourself is, oh my God, this is freaking hard. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the things I love about you too, is that you really tell the truth. You like, you go out of your way to be like, this is really hard. Are you sure you want to do this? Well, let us help you. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's really, really hard. And, <clears throat> um, some people look at the sum total of that profession and they go, nope, not for me. That is a really valuable conversation. That is the gold. It is okay. You do not have to do it. Like I, I, the way that I say this in midwifery, it's like you don't have to die on the cross of midwifery. Like that's not your path. You do not have to be the martyr that sacrifices your very life for the profession like I did. <laughs> you don't have to do that. Um, there are many other ways to serve. So if you do this some total evaluation, yeah, go ahead. But, but if it's your calling, tell us about nope. that. It's not your calling if it's injuring you. That is falsehood. That is absolute falsehood. So people who do this some total evaluation, they're like, I get it. I know it's hard. It's still my work. I get it. It's exhausting and I still want to do it. Those people should be doulas, birth workers, midwives, whatever the calling is. <clears throat> but those people who look at it and be like, ah, but I don't want to do that. 
they shouldn't do that. But you can only do that some total evaluation if you tell the truth and other people tell the truth to you. Or when you discover the truth, you get out, right? Um, if you decide it is your path and you want to walk towards it, then um, you might need a different mentor than me. <laughs> because I, I, I could not, do not, will not be a doula ever at all. Because I, I've tasted the forbidden fruit. I know what it's like on the other side. And I cannot witness systemic abuse yeah. with no true informed decision making and obstetric violence. And I can't participate in that. But there are many people who are like, I know that's happening. That's why I need to be there. I know that's happening. That's why my client needs me. Bless you. I, I bow to you. It's not me, but there are people that come to that conclusion. And like, thank God, because change needs to happen from without and from within. When you have this level of a broken system, no one solution is going to fit all. We have to have all the things coming together. And there are doulas who can figure out how to do enough self-protection that they can be in that violent space and still get beautiful work done. And um, there are doulas that can't, in which case they do other things. They doula other doulas. I midwife other midwives. They create educational programs. They create courses. They advocate at the state level. You know, the program that I went to to get this master's in maternal child health systems, there were two doulas and two nurses in my program with me. And they're doing change from within the system with that systems level degree. And they're not doing direct patient care. They're doing advocacy and they're hired by governmental organizations and insurance companies and they're setting policy and they're involved in things that shape the course of the of the profession without having to be boots on the ground you know so there's a place for all of us all of us are working towards the same goal um and i guess that that that's another point i always love to make it's like you're not in competition with each other stop just stop it right now Thank you. Yes, it's so true. There's no possible way you could serve all the people that need you. There's like no possible way. You absolutely need each other. Even if you live in a small town, you can't stay up for days and days. You can't do it. You need people. So like stop fighting with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's at the core of it for sure. Mm -hmm. So what would you say if you're, if you're not happy in the iteration of your work, do you think that there is a way, like, let's just take you, like you, for instance, you say, I can't stay up at night. So yeah. you, how did you solve that problem? What do you? Well, do you- I always have a senior midwife with me, around me, on call, somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you never have to break um, that boundary. I never. I, I mean, since I got sick, I got really sick last year. <clears throat> I can't, I can't do it. I will get sicker. I will injure myself. I can't serve if I'm injuring myself. Um, and the people that I work with really want me to be there. So they're willing to pay two salaries, you know, and that's, that's the thing you have to find the way through. Um, but again, you have to be willing to disappoint others in order to not abandon yourself. And, uh, I had to be willing to say, I know that I've been here a year, but since I've been sick, I can't keep being here unless you hire someone else. Mm-hmm. I, I have to be willing to disappoint them, make them uncomfortable. 
They have to pay more people in order to have me around. I have to be willing to do that. Absolutely. So that's, this is such a good lesson to us as doulas too, because I think part of the downfall of doulas is this solo practice. We are operating as lone wolves and we are wearing ourselves out. Midwives do the same thing. But what if we opened ourselves up to the possibility of what if I don't have to work at night? What if somebody else could do that? Or what if I just, I'm only on call these days out of the month. So getting creative with your solutions. And the, the, the core belief that's behind the lone wolf reality is, is that cape. It's the magical thinking. I have the solution, right? And um, it's ego, but it's also like, it's like, how do you say it? It's, it's the, it's the fantasy, right? So again, you have to tell the truth. And if you've ever been busy enough or sick enough that someone had to replace you, and then you talk to those clients, they don't fucking care. They don't care at all. They'll be like, oh, I missed you, but let me tell you about my amazing birth. Like, they don't care at all. They don't care at all. I mean, if you were replaced with competent someone, right? You can't, you can't put in incompetence. But but if you find your 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 equals, they don't care. Yeah. I think this is the biggest thing that midwives discover. They don't care. They don't care. If you were at someone else's birth and you send your backup, they have a beautiful birth. They did not need you. And I think if we could, if we could really take this in and be like, no one is suffering as long as they know that they'll be covered. Like that is the goal. Then the whole thing shifts, the whole paradigm shifts. And you are no longer on the hook for everything. You're no longer wearing the cape or wielding the magic wand. The client's getting their needs met. You're getting their needs met. Ta-da! Winning solution. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely safety numbers too. Mm-hmm. That's the truth is that, that we don't want our clients saying, I couldn't have done it without you. We talk, Meredith and I talk about this. We want them walking away saying, look what I did. And that's right. That's a paradigm shift. So it is. Definitely. And the reason that we get caught up in like, the ego place of being like wanting to be needed is because of that hole. And that hole is the thing you're creating yourself by abandoning yourself. Like if you just stop crossing your own boundaries, you won't have a hole to fill. What do you do when you have crossed your boundary? Well, give me an example, because if it's, if it's a private one, it's a different solution than if it's a public one. Let's talk public. Let's talk about it at a birth. Let's say um, um, a provider comes in, let's say a doctor comes in and they are, they're rude and condescending. You know, how many times have we heard like, I know your doula told you this, but I've got, you know, I'm the one who went through school and blah, blah, blah. So what's so the boundary? Those, so in those moments, I choose often have chosen to just take it take it on for the client's sake. I'm like, you know what? This well, that's, is- that's not about, I mean, you haven't named a boundary yet. They're just being an asshole. Yeah, what, what's exactly. The what's the boundary? Um, the, the boundary is, I would love to say something like, you know what? I, this woman chose me to be with her. She knows me. Well, the boundary is staying silent instead of speaking up. 
Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So the best, so here, let me just define them because this is like nuanced work. So the boundary yeah. is I choose to speak up for my clients. I'm going to be an advocate doula. I'm not just going to let them be abused by the system. There's the boundary. Now the client, the doctor comes in. Rah, 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 rah. Now you have a choice. Do I speak up? Like I said, I was going to, or do I stay silent and take it? Yeah, absolutely. Depends on what your boundary is. So your if your boundary was I'm an advocate doula, I'm going to speak up for my clients, and then you don't, you crossed your own boundary. It doesn't matter what happened in that room; you're still going to have to deal with the consequences, like crying on your CST table the next day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> if you speak up and you feel like I'm living my boundary, and then there are repercussions, like you're kicked out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's actually an easier recovery because you didn't cross your own boundaries. Got it. Yeah. What if you can your boundaries shift? You know, we talk yeah. about getting really humble yeah. when you need to get humble just to protect a client or. Well, so this is more of the practice of midwifery or practice of doula work um, more than internal boundary work. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I'm trying to frame this in such a way. There's not really a boundary here. Um, yeah, you definitely have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to meet whatever's going on in the moment. Um, and you could, you could be loud and proud, and you could be absolutely quiet and acquiescing. We at the end of the midwifery wisdom conference this year in Galveston. Uh, or not in the end, one of the nights, we had um, scripted informed decision-making birth plays or like script skits. We had these scripted skits um, and I, I wrote them and designed this thing. And it was like <laughs> one of the funnest things I've done in a long time. And it's definitely gonna have a place in next, next year's event. But one of, the, one of the skits, I actually chose to run both ways. So, um, the, cl the client was transferred to the hospital. She had a reason to be there, nothing emergent, just non-productive. And the nurse came in already, obviously opinionated about this person's choice and was being kind to the client, but not to the provider. And so we ran it both ways. We ran it where the provider was like, thank you. We understand, we're just here, thank you, do, please, I understand, yes. You know, like the backing off, acquiescing, silent. And the client was in the bed, <laughs> you know, like she wanted it to be a different way. And now her midwife has emotionally disconnected from the experience and is sort of supporting the nurse who's doing all the things she didn't want, right? We ran it that way and eventually, after a while, the client just says, well, I think you can just go home. I don't need you anymore, right? So the birth worker goes. And the whole audience had a reaction to that process because for some of them, that was boundary crossing. They didn't stay in there and advocate. But for others, they could understand that that's a choice that you make in order to be good with the next transport, mm -hmm. the next part. Mm -hmm. And then just for fun, I reset the scene and the actors all knew what they were going to do. And this time the midwife was like, excuse me. She asked not to have, are you reading her birth plan? You aren't listening. She said like, this, this is what she wants. And so then 
the nurse escalated and brought the doctor and the security team in and the midwife still got kicked out. And lots of people were triggered by that because first of all, both of these scenarios have happened to all of us all the time. And second of all, because you really, the work is not what's happening outside of you. It's what's happening inside of you. So the conclusion of that is I kind of was like, all right, which can you live with? And the audience all had these different color cards so that they could participate. First of all, they chose which decision we made. And then at the end, they could sort of communicate en masse with these cards. And it was really split. Part of the group was like, you get along because we're not in it for the one birth. We're in it for changing the system, for making home birth and birth center accessible, for making midwifery mainstream. We're in it for the long haul. You just get along to get through this birth. And if you have to sacrifice a few women along the way, that's what it takes. And half of them were like, no, I work for that client. I'm here to advocate for that client. I have not done my job if I don't fight the good fight. And I think everyone was able to see that both are right. Because it really, not no one decision is going to change the system or even change that one person's life. Honestly. But it will change your life if you cross your boundaries, it will change your life. If you abandon yourself, if you injure yourself in the service of others, it will change your life. Wow. So one of my taglines in, in my teaching is that birth has to be at least as safe for you as you make it for your clients. And I think this is the paradigm shift that I'm fighting for right now, which is what boundaries are all wrapped up in. If you're busy making birth nicer or safer for other people, and in the meanwhile, hurting yourself, you, you aren't actually moving the needle at all because you will eventually burn out and leave the profession like happens so many goddamn times. So do you think this is why this is the burnout? Burnout? Yeah, 100%. Boundaries. Boundaries. Boundaries, yeah. boundaries, boundaries. Burnout is boundaries. If you feel anger, resentment, or guilt, you're burnt out. You've already crossed your boundaries. How can you keep going if you have no motivation left because it's been robbed because you keep injuring yourself? It's like not possible. It's like that is the equation. The solution to moving the needle forward in each birth, in each provider's life, and in the profession and system in general is to go back to the very core of the matter, which is, are your needs met? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why does this matter? How are you taking care of yourself? It's, I mean, and this is like the next follow-on is that boundaries is self-care. There is no way to give self-care if you're crossing boundaries. Bubble baths do nothing. No is where it's at. When you say no to others so that you can say yes to yourself, you are doing radical self-care. And without that, this profession is impossible. Wow, everyone. Truth bomb from Augustine Colbrook. <laughs> I love it. Augustine, um, we're almost done, but I want to ask if you could dive a little bit deeper into this sacred no holy yes business and how to find yeah. it. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> how do you make space to receive that? 
That is a great question. And I have a resource for you. So um, uh, the sacred yes, holy no is that gut feeling, that heart knowing, that body wisdom. It's beyond the head, right? Wherever you feel it in your body, that answer that comes out of nothing, that is not thought about, but that is clear. That is your sacred yes, holy no. Some people call it intuition. Some people call it body knowing, right? To get better in touch with that, I have um, a free downloadable on my website that is called Calibrating Your Intuition. And you can go to midwiferywisdom.com and it's right on the front page and you can download that. And it is both a worksheet and an audible. You can hear me talking at you. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can better identify where that message comes from in your body. And I have an exercise to figure out where your body says yes and where your body says no. And then the real trick is that you have to do what it says. Because <laughs> if you ignore that intuition, the voice gets quieter. So true. If you listen, it gets louder. Well, Augustine, this is, I think part of the reason Meredith and I value your wisdom is because it's hard won. You have done the work to get to this place i know yeah. i love myself so much i'm dangerous <laughs> <laughs> be it's careful, so, careful. <laughs> it's so good i i can say completely honestly i am not there i i i can see that but what's so helpful about seeing you where you are is it it gives me hope and i feel like you're shining a light on this path ahead and it feels you're showing us what's possible. We can come through losing everything and we can come out better.